Let me tell you a little story. When I was 15 years old, my family went on a vacation to Tennessee and kind of did the mountains. And uh, Taryn and I went to school up there. And so this past week we were up there and it got me thinking about this story when I was 15 years old and did kind of a Tennessee, North Carolina trip. And uh, on the way back, right before we were heading out of town, we had to carb up. Anybody have to carb up when you get on the road? And so we stopped by Dunkin' Donuts, and uh, everybody kind of picked their carb of choice. You know, some got the croissant and the croissants, if you prefer a more French pronunciation. Uh, I got a bagel with cream cheese, and you bagel with cream cheese, carb of choice. Donut people, where you at in the house? Okay. Nobody. So you guys don't like carbs. You guys are Atkins diet only right now. Awesome. Um, no, so we all carved up. And within, like, you, so when you get in the mountains, you guys know how it goes. You've got all these hairpin turns. And um, it gets a little bit, you can get nauseous pretty easy. Uh, a little nosh, as I like to say. And so I was getting a little nosh in the first hour and starting to feel real uneasy as I was enjoying my bagel with cream cheese. But there was an aroma of donuts in the car, and it moved from a little bit nauseous to like extremely severe, like I'm gonna like puke out this car. And nothing's worse than being sick, than being sick when it's eight hours left to get home, you know what I mean? In the car and driving, you know, 20 miles or 50 miles out of uh, the mountains. And so from that day on, for the next over a decade, I could not stand to be near donuts. Like, literally did not want donuts in my presence. Like, get thee behind me, Satan, get the donuts out of my face. Uh, like, I was allergic to them. And the funny thing is, is I wasn't even eating donuts. It was just the aroma of donuts. It was bagels and cream cheese that I was eating. And um, you wouldn't know that I, I didn't eat donuts for all that time if you were at um, our anchor group a few weeks ago when we decided to meet at Krispy Kreme. Come on, like, that's a small group we all want to be a part of. We met at Krispy Kreme that night, and uh, it was awesome. A couple of the guys bought donuts for everybody, and you would have no idea that I didn't eat donuts for, for over 10 years, 12 years, because I put away like half a dozen by myself. Somebody, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody else was being real polite. Guys like watching, you know, watch what they eat. I was watching it go down. I was watching what I was eating too, and so I uh, was cheating, uh, cheating uh, that night, and I feel like since we've got off our, our January fast, like we've been going to town, so we're about to Rain it back in with the sugar and the carbs. I've got a little, got a little thing going on with carbs that need to, to rain in. And so uh, uh, anyway, as I was thinking uh, about this with this whole thing with the donuts, it, it got me thinking about uh, our religiously transmitted disease that I want to talk about today. If you haven't been with us, we've been on a series uh, the past couple of weeks talking about religiously transmitted diseases. And this isn't to say the, that religion, that the church is diseased in and of itself, but it's that we've allowed some religiosity, we've allowed hypocrisy, we've allowed idolatry into uh, the body, and it's a compassionate call for us to be healed. And for every uh, religiously transmitted disease, there is a relationally transmitted cure, and his name is Jesus. And he invites us out of religion and into relationship. And from that place, we go and we offer this relationally transmitted cure of love and grace that Jesus showed us the example for. Uh, the, the RTD, as we're calling them, that I want to talk about today is, is judgment. Because we live in a very judgmental society. We do. Everyone's hypercritical. Around every corner, we can uh, count on uh, being judged 
for something that we've done or, or the way we look or whatever it might be. And, and this disease has been transmitted through hypercritical dads, judgmental moms, negative Nancys in the office, uh, hellfire and brimstone preachers. Uh, we see it in our lunchrooms. Uh, we see it in our classrooms. We see it in, at our office parties. We see it in our church lobbies. And I think what's most heartbreaking about this is in the environment in which we hope to be accepted and expect to be accepted for who we are, the church, and we are right to think that because that is who God has called us to be. But as Christians, we're not always the best version, and we too can become susceptible to religiously transmitted diseases that in this place in which we hope to be accepted for all this, that it's in those places that it hurts the worst when we find ourselves judged, a judge for our past, a judge for uh, how nice of a car we drive or how crappy of a car we drive, because we homeschool our children or because we don't homeschool our children, a judged because of any number of things, the color of your skin or any stereotype that people uh, have put against you in your life. We've all got a story. We've all got a story of feeling judgment in our life. In fact, I don't think you got to go back very far. I think you could go back this past week in which it happened. You, maybe you go back further into childhood. I, uh, I remember when I was in middle and high school, uh, really all, all my uh, upbringing, um, I, I think in the South, uh, major, uh, it's usually a white majority in most schools. And in my schools, it was a white minority. And I remember, and I played basketball and football. And I don't know if you've ever watched basketball, but whites are minority. And so, and, and white guys, I guess, aren't good at, at basketball. But in these times, I'd say like two-thirds or three-fourths of uh, the time, I really felt like prejudged because I was a white dude playing basketball. And that I wouldn't, I, I would feel like I wouldn't get an opportunity in that. And I felt like it happened in my childhood in these, these little moments. And some of you have experienced a far more harsh a judgment than, than something like that. Uh, I, I know a few, few years ago, we had purchased a home uh, in, in just a great neighborhood here in town. And, and it's one of these neighborhoods that we found out that there's like middle class parts of the, of the neighborhood, and then there's seven figure um, parts of the neighborhood. And we, we found this out when we went to, uh, really we had driven around the, the neighborhood before, but we really got a hold of this when we went to a local uh, kind of breakfast place that we, we walked to, and we were sitting down, and we were talking to some new neighbors, and they asked us this question, you know, we were talking about where we live in town, and they asked us this question, which side of the street do you live on? And we knew exactly what they were getting at, and so we responded to them, you know, the, the middle class side, the right, we live on the right side of the road, and, um, and they made this face, and, and they didn't really say the words. They, they had some whatever things to say after it, but the face said it all. You know, we communicate so much through the face, and it was basically a, a face that communicated, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Like, would you, where's your little house? You know, it, it was that kind of communication to us, and immediately we walked away, and we felt like, man, they were judging us because we didn't live in some big mansion in that moment. And I don't, I don't know what your story is, but I know every single one of us, we've got a story in which we felt judged. Whether it's a race or decisions you made or past mistakes or the way you dress or any, anything you've gone through in your life, you've, you've felt, you felt judged. We've all, we've all got a story. And what I'd like to offer for us today is that 
I think like my relationship with donuts, we got turned off to this idea of judgment. And now anytime judgment or being judgmental comes up, whether it's in the scripture and we read of God's judgment, we just want to toss it out and be done with it. And we'll just skip right over God's nature as a righteous judge. And this is important. We're going we're to uh, unpack this through the scriptures here in just a moment. Um, because I think that judgment, our relationship with it as humans is rather complex. It's complex, kind of like bacteria is complex. That, that bacteria, there's good bacteria. Did you, did you know that? You probably knew that. You guys are smarter than me. Um, uh, bacteria can help pr- uh, promote good digestive health. It can turn, uh, it can curdle milk into yogurt. Yeah, that's good stuff, right? Uh, but it's also dangerous, and it can, can create pneumonia in our life and turn into MRSA and things that are very deadly. And I just want to tell us today that judgmentalitis, having a judgmental or a critical spirit, is so deadly to us. And that which we've looked on and we want to skip over passages in which we see God as judge is not deadly for those who are in Christ. It actually is going to point us more towards his goodness and his kindness. And so I want to unpack this and, and talk about this because if we don't, it's, it's spreading. Have you noticed this? And Maybe I know we've got some teenagers and, and some youth in the room. You guys probably aren't aware of this, but, but adults in the room over the past 10 years, we've gotten to be even more judgmental than we were before. Do you notice that? Like, it, it's, it's, even, it's even worse now. It feels like around every corner, but we're a non-judgmental society. I think you're going to begin to see how we got to this place. But with bacteria, it multiplies, right? That, that's where we get into a lot of It multiplies through a process called binary fission. Some of you science people out there, it's been a long time since I studied on this stuff, but let me read it to you uh, of how this process of binary fission works. A single bacteria cell, the parent, makes a copy of the DNA, and it grows large in size by doubling its cellular content. Uh, The doubled contents are pushed out to either end of the cell, and then a small fissure emerges at the center of the parent, eventually splitting it into two identical daughter cells. I, I believe that this has been growing because of the judgment that's happened to us. And we didn't deal with it. We didn't bring it before the Lord. We didn't offer forgiveness. We didn't offer grace. It's stuck, and now it's multiplying. It's multiplying because it's struck to our heart and it's multiplying through this process. And so this is what happens when we've been judged by man. And so I want to unpack this for us today out of Romans chapter one. I want to read about 17 verses and so we'll buckle up for that. And I I believe that God's really going to set us free through this text. Uh, Let me just warn you, this text is a heavy text. This sermon is a heavy sermon, but if we will lean in and grasp what God wants to do in our lives, we're not going to leave the same. I just believe that. So let's begin in Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation, um, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, catch this, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. 
became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, and even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned their natural uh, relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to, remember this, depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And they have uh, become filled with every kind of wickedness. So it starts in a lack of worship and a lack of prayer. And now it's multiplying. It's getting out of control. God's giving them over to these desires and a depraved mind, and it's moving to this place. Uh, They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, greed, depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. And and, uh, they're gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant. They're boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Uh, They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Now we, that, um, and now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when a mere man or a mere human pass judgment on them and yet does the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, uh, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath um, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. I am thankful for God's word, but that's a heavy word. It's heavy. And so I want to process that with us a little bit as we look at not only the judgment that we've received in our lives through other humans, but uh, also process in light of God's righteous judgment, what this means for us. I was recently watching a video in which uh, a guy was on the, um, the state legif- legislative floor in Rhode Island, and he was pleading uh, from his, to his own Democratic Party at this time for them to essentially slow their role in trying to pass Um, measures to legalize late-term abortions, even post-birth abortions, murder. Like, he's he's begging them, like, hey, slow your roll, use reason once again. And he recalled one particular expert doctor that was on the stand to give his, his testimony and his expert opinion. 
And at this time, the, the man recounts of what the doctor said, that uh, the, they asked the doctor, who is who's the most qualified to make the decision over the woman's health? And the doctor said, the woman is the most qualified to make determination over her health. And this guy on the legislative floor, he said, then why are we paying you all this money? If, if you're not the expert, why are you in the room? Or don't we come to a doctor to be read results and to tell us what's going on and to help us figure out treatment for the things that are happening in our bodies? And he, he, just, he just wanted them to stop and just think through the reason of that because um, it, it's flawed and it's deeply flawed at that because a patient's not qualified enough to really diagnose their own treatments unless you're a medical doctor, right? We talked about at the beginning of the series of how much we love WebMD and we feel so educated and we've become wise in our own eyes. And he's calling to, to just think this through and slow down because a patient's not qualified enough to diagnose themselves and a doctor is not righteous enough to decide who lives and dies. It's not. Nor in a courtroom uh, are an, an attorney and a client able to pardon themselves. Are they able to determine what is right and wrong? There is a judge that sits before them that they answer to. And in Romans 1, what's taking place is Paul is, is speaking to a group of moralists. People who know God. People who know about God, but their lives do not glorify God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Their lives don't glorify God, nor do they give thanks to him. And I just wonder how many of us go through the motions of religiosity. And our lives don't glorify him. And we sing songs of praise to God, but we don't genuinely thank God with gratitude for what he's done in our life. And the result in this, and we think it's harmless. We, we think that there's no harm in it, but what Paul is teaching this group of moralists that I'm telling you in our society, in our culture, in our city, we're dealing with this, and it's in this room too. And he said, their thinking became futile. That's like a Star Wars. You know, resistance is futile. You know, it's, it's like a heavy phrase, but in the Greek, the, the word here is uh, I, I nailed it in first service, and I just feel I'm not going to nail it in second service. Uh, dialogismos, dialogismos, something like that. Um, I practiced it, and it was a struggle the whole time. Um, but here's what it is. It's where we get the word dialogue. It's where we get the word dialogue, and it means this. Uh, it goes beyond that. It's not dialogue between two people, but it's an inward reasoning. It's a deliberating with ourselves. And God is not anti-reason. In, in fact, he just wants to be a part of that reason. He wants to be a part of that in prayer. He wants to be a part of that in what we call discernment. That we can discern. And discern, discernment is where we get God into the picture of our reasoning. And we allow God into it. God has not called us to be stupid. He has called us to use wisdom, to use godly wisdom. But what begins to happen when there's not a relationship, it's just religion, we are deliberating within ourselves of what is right and wrong. And this is the culture we live in. This is pluralism at its finest, that we just consult ourselves and whatever everybody thinks is right and, and, and the attorney and client are making up what's right and wrong in the courtroom. This is the culture 
we live in. And what happens, verse 25, it says that what, through that time where we're dialoguing with ourselves, we actually exchange the truth of who God is for a lie. Pastor Todd last week really talked about idols and idolatry, and this is what we do. We create an idol, and it's not a fixed image. Sometimes it's fixed ideals that are not a representation of who God is. Bad theology, that's not who God is. We've created an idol that we want him to be who he is. So we, I had a friend growing up in elementary school. He was still a friend. Uh, but his dad literally went through the Bible and X'd out things and kind of made his own Bible. Thomas Jefferson, who gets called a Christian, was not because he made his own Bible, the Jefferson Bible, and he like removed all the miracles of Jesus. It was just moralist teaching. It was the audience. That, so I'm guessing he removed uh, Romans uh, chapter one as two. So all this, like that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. And so God gave them over to what? A depraved mind. Let's, let's tap on the brakes real quick to understand the Greek here for just uh, one more moment. It means to not stand the test of time. It means to be not approved. Anything that's kind of been made in a factory, most of the time there is a quality control department. Some of you may have worked in a quality control uh, department or in some way in your career uh, right now. And Usually at the end of that, there is somebody that puts their stamp and it'll say okay or approved or certified or something like that with a stamp of approval that someone has approved. It is ready to go out to the public. And what this is saying is God gave them over to mindsets and a lifestyle which will not stand the test of time. It won't be approved. It may look like it's working in the short term, but when we come face to face with Jesus, it will not be approved. It will not be approved. And so I, I, I want to go into this and really begin to dig in. So, so why? Why can we not afford to miss out on God's nature as a righteous judge? We can't afford to miss out and neglect on God's nature of righteous judge. Let me offer a few reasons. First, because we... we when we do understand and trust God as righteous judge, we begin to understand who he truly is. Do you want to know an idol? Do you want to exchange God for a liar? Do you want to know the true living God? I mean, I, I want to know the living God. I want to know who he truly is. Because uh, I say I trust him. And we, and we see this all in God's nature from Genesis 3, right? We've got creation account in one, uh, Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, and we see God's first judgment in Satan. He says that you will bruise uh, your heel stepping on the serpent, and, and there's this curse that God puts uh, over Satan and, and over evil at this time. We see it move, God's judgment in, in Genesis chapter 4 between Cain and Abel, in which they brought offerings to God, and one offered the first fruits out of trust for God, and one offered the leftover offerings, and God made a judgment in that moment. Move on to Genesis 5 through 9, and we see Noah, and the, there's wickedness in the world, and God makes a judgment. And which honestly, if we really begin to think about what God did in that moment, makes us uncomfortable. We'd like to flip over that, not have conversations about God's judgment. But we also see God's mercy and that he preserved Noah and his family because he was not finished yet as we declared in worship a few minutes ago. He's not finished yet. 
So we, we've, got to, we've got to grab a hold of this. Hey, here, here's the next one. This is big. When we understand and trust God as righteous judge, we understand that we're not the righteous judge. This is, this is it. This is the linchpin. Therefore, we're not suitable to judge others. The reason we've got a critical spirit, the reason we've got a judgmental spirit is because we're in his seat. And we've got self-righteousness that we're not willing to deal with and confront. We haven't confronted the fact that he is just and he is good. We've got a God complex. Let's play this out in a little scenario here. Uh, Jack and Jill, who there, this, you thought up a hill was going to happen. It's not happening. Uh, Jack and Jill, I'm just making up some people. Jack and Jill have a 17-year-old daughter who's a leader in the youth group. And I'm making this up for those of you that don't know. Uh, Jack and Jill have a 17-year-old daughter who gets pregnant out of a wedlock. And immediately in this judgmental church, not us. I love you guys. Y'all aren't judgmental, right? We know, none of us ever criticize people. Um, they cast eyes and begin to, to look on and be like, if they wouldn't let her stay out till 11 p.m. every night, you know, I wish they would just this. They should have done this. Come on, you ever found yourself just caught up in that judging, what they should do? Who's they, you know? Um, but we can't be in judgment of that because, hey, when, when we were teenagers, we had sex before we were married. And so here we are in judgment against them, for this situation. And, and here we are in judgment them, but our daughter's only eight years old and she's not, she may get pregnant when she's 15, you know? And here we are in judgment over that and it's a dangerous place to be. And so when we understand that God is the righteous judge, we understand that we're not, that he is the only righteous judge. We are not suited to judge others. Um, uh, thirdly, we can equally understand and receive God's kindness and his mercy. They come together. They come hand in hand. Look throughout the history of Israel. You'll see a lot of judgment. The prophets that were brought along to try to wake them up. Judgment so many times is a wake-up call. Wake up. Don't be slumbering. Don't be lukewarm. Come back to the Lord. Return back to the Lord. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Then I will come and I'll heal their land. I'll return. And I think what we want to do with judgment, because it makes us uncomfortable to even think about those situations with Noah, to even consider that, that God would not save everybody, makes us uncomfortable. We just want kumbaya into eternity. And we would just want to toss the whole thing out like Dunkin' Donuts, like I did with Dunkin' Donuts and Donuts. I'm done with all of it, right? And anytime the scripture comes up, anybody talks about it, I'm just going to skip right over that. It's not a part of our theology, but here's the danger. Judgment, God's righteous judgment, is at the very core of the gospel. The whole reason Jesus came, the whole purpose that Jesus came was to glorify God by taking on himself the judgment we deserve. We undermine the gospel in which we stake our lives and stake our eternity. And so we can't afford to do this. It seems harmless to, to kind of go through without having a relationship, without worshiping, without having honest prayer and gratitude for what he's done. It seems that, but then we're in futile thinking and then we're in a depraved mind that will not be approved and into all sort of other things that we think are right, but we've created a lie. We've created an idol that we feel comfortable with. And rather what we should do, 
with judgment is treated in, in a way that we do an antibiotic, which is also known as antibacteria, which is we actually insert that back into our theology. We insert God's righteous judgment, that he's the only righteous judge. We insert it back into our, our theology, and, and in this moment, it actually draws us closer to the kindness of Jesus. Because if not for Jesus, if not for Jesus, and so we as believers, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. Here's the, here's the thing. Judgment is a reality, but it's not yours to enforce and it's not mine to enforce. What we are called to do as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as salt and light in the, in the earth, we are called to correct. We are called to restore. We are called to encourage in love, not judge. I want to read a few verses, uh, passages of scripture here um, with you, and in the, in the second two, I want you to repeat the phrases that are in yellow with me out loud, okay? I'll read the first one uh, by myself. James 2, 1 through 13. Uh, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Let's go ahead and say this together. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's look at Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, doesn't matter what it is, you who are spiritual, spiritually mature, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. One final one. 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Thankful for God's word. Because all that takes place teaches us how, how we are to do this. In patience and teaching. In love. Discerning our own stuff. In maturity. So it's really hard to be in judgmental, like to, to correct someone. You know, it's like having a, Taryn jokes about this from time to time, of, of having a trainer who's in worse shape than you are. You know, she always joked about her PE coach growing up or something that was, um, that was in worse shape. Like, you guys run those laps and you're like, what are you telling me for, you know? And, and it's in those situations. And so we, it's those that maybe you're, at, you're ahead of the journey of somebody. There's someone in your life that, hey, you're just, you're just 12 months ahead of them on, on the journey. You, you may be six weeks ahead of them on the journey. And you can come along and you can encourage in love. And you can come along and exhort, which means to encourage. We can come and correct. Hey, I don't know if you looked at it. In patience and teaching, not in judgment. We're to speak and act as those... Uh, who, who have seen the law that gives freedom, which is the, the law of Jesus. It's the grace of Jesus. That's the law that Paul, uh, James is referring to there. And the band's gonna come, and I, I wanna close today with, with just one final thought. And I know this is heavy, but it's important because it's, it's undermining. It's undermining the gospel. It's undermining our theology. It's, and, and it's a cancer that's, that's deeply embedded into our spirit. Here's what, God, God's judgment is inescapable for all humanity. But those in, in Jesus Christ will be found spotless on the day of judgment. It's inescapable. 
We will stand before him. And it's, it's, it's like this. I, I think John Piper really explained it in this way that, you know, every A that we've made, every B will be brought before the Lord. And, and on the day of judgment, he'll bring all those things up. Every grave we've ever had on all of our quote unquote test, time in which we chose to obey God or deny his mercy and grace, to deny that obedience. And all of it will be laid there. Not only the sins we've committed, but I think we'll also be reminded of every opportunity we had to respond to his kindness and mercy. Yeah. Not just, hey, here's all your sins. No, no, here's the response. And in that moment, if we are in Christ, that, that whole pile, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff is going to burn up into a big shape of a cross. Like This is John Piper just kind of making an illusion for this, making a visual for this. It's going to burn up into a big cross. None of your good stuff is going to count for anything. None of your bad stuff is either because it's all in Christ and it's been covered in the blood of Christ. But in that moment, if we have not lived our life and, and responded to his grace and lived a life to glorify him and, and bring gratitude to him, well, we'll face the day of judgment. We'll face God's wrath. And that's, that's hard and we don't want to think about, but that's the reality. Um, Anthony Hokema said of this, the sins and shortcomings of believers will be revealed in the judgment as forgiven sins, whose guilt has been totally covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So thankful for that. The book of Revelation is often another one of those scary times of God's judgment. Like we are afraid to even read it. That's just one like, I'll read the rest of this Bible, but I'll, I'll read the words of Jesus, but I'm not reading Revelation. There's a, a powerful text there that gives us a, a picture. John the Revelator is receiving this revelation from God and he's, he's beginning this letter directly to a handful of churches in the early church. One of them is called Laodicea. And God is rebuking them. He is correcting them. He is calling them to repentance through this letter. And I believe he's calling us to this as well. And, and God says to John, reveals to him, that I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were just hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I'm just going to spew you out of my mouth. It's a heavy statement. And I pray that it convicts some of us in the room. That we're going through religious motions. We're not expressing genuine gratitude from our lips to the Lord. From our hearts to the Lord. And so this is a call to repentance. The judgment of God is the, it's his kindness that draws us to Repentance. It's a call to worship. As verse 5 says, I don't know if you remember this one, it's a call to, to lay aside stubbornness and unrepentant hearts. Repentance isn't something we just do at the beginning of the journey. It's something we do all along the journey. It softens our heart. It reminds us of his mercy and his grace that's poured out on us. Yet Yesterday we were... Um, Spent a few hours in the flower beds at the front of the house. Kids were helping us. It was beautiful weather, and it was just an amazing morning. And it, it honestly, it had been a while since we've done it. You ever get like that with your weeds and stuff? And I had worked in the front flower beds for a little bit, and Taryn was working and some planting some stuff in the back. And I, I'd weeded a lot of things out, been pulling a lot of thorns, and, you know, had broken a sweat. My hands were actually hurting at the end of the night for how much we did it. And Taryn came around, and, and she started picking out all these weeds that I... I chose to leave behind or I missed. I kind of got offended in the moment. I was like, what are you doing? I already did this. I go on to 
something else. It felt almost like I was being judged, that my work wasn't, wasn't good enough. And I just know in these moments right now, when it's time to respond, when it's time to repent, we can get offended. Like, no, it's, it's not us. Just skip right over that thorn. Just skip right over that weed. Let's not do it. But everyone in this room has been impacted by cancer in some way. You've lost a friend or a family member. You've heard a diagnosis, and the first thing that comes to your heart is fear. It's just like, we're going we're gonna to lose them. And what I, that's, that's cancer of the body. And what I want us to know is that judgmental spirit, self-righteousness is a cancer of the soul. And when we remove the judgment, the righteous judgment of God, we're undermining the gospel, and it's going to rot us. You're, gonna, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to have freedom. You're not going to have peace among brothers and sisters. In your own home, you won't have it. And I think God wants us to put him back in his seat, in his throne as a righteous judge. And when we come alongside folks all across our city, in our workplace, negative Nancy, and just keep loving her, and just keep encouraging her, and just take a minute to, in patience and teaching, speak the truth in love. And I believe that just as much as this has been transmitted to us, something new can be transmitted from us. A freedom and a healing that, that breaks the bondage of a critical spirit and a judgmental spirit that's honestly, it's plagued some families for generations. And I think in this moment, in repentance and setting aside stubbornness, God can bring us to a place to be set free from it. And so I want to ask you to stand and bow your head and search your heart in this moment. This band's going to lead us. But the vision is that you move into the throne room on your own here and allow God to speak to your heart. Is there a critical spirit that's been walled up? Is there a fissure, a small fissure that began in your heart 20 years ago, five years ago, two weeks ago, and now it's been multiplying in your family ever since? I think God wants to set us free in this moment. God, thank you. Thank you for your holy word that is good and true and honest. God, even when we struggle with the reality of, of this, God, you paint a picture for how we're called to live it out. God, and we don't need to sit in your seat. We just need to, to do what you've called us to do. And we are, we're willing to do that today, God. We move towards you in obedience, not, and we set aside stubbornness. We set aside unrepentant hearts, God, to find ourselves humbled at your feet, at this altar, at our seats, at these crosses, God. We find ourselves today just opening our hearts up all over again and saying, God, will you pass by our flower beds of our heart and rip out the cancer of our soul God, if, if we've removed you from your throne, would we restore you back to your rightful place today? Because you are worthy and you are good. And I pray it is your kindness that draws us in, not fear, because perfect love, your perfect love cast out that fear and we are drawn deeper into your presence, deeper into a relationship with you. We give you glory and honor for it today.